I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. And welcome back to the show. Thank you for the kind words about our last episode. Really enjoyed it. It was a Joe Rogan-esque epic marathon of a show. Today will be under an hour. But that's not a guarantee. As time forms, Mark Milligan is back with me. Hello, Mark. Hey, good afternoon. We we gave a new definition to the saying, uh, a marathon, not a sprint, didn't we? The other day, we're in... in relative terms this this one will be a, a more sprightly uh, a run through saturday's cards yeah we're going from the gold cup to the king stand basically we're going to sprint through this one um but i'll just warn you in advance there is a big bet coming from mark milligan there is a big bet coming from marky mark marky mash money mark is coming in hot with a big bet and i'm very much excited about that you did mention though definition so we should mention he who shall not be named. High definition, after we recorded, it came out, has been sold for 350,000 sovereigns. Uh, joins Joseph O'Brien to go jumping so you can get the Derby money back, my man, in the Supreme Novices Hurdle. What do you make of that? It's ironic, isn't it? Because with my tongue firmly in my cheek a few months ago, I suggested that... Uh, he ought to be gelded and go for the uh, the supreme novices hurdle. And you did. It's almost like I got a crystal ball, um, and that's you know he's. He, I wouldn't say he's drinking in the last chance saloon, and you know, high class flat horses that go over hurdles have got a mixed record, haven't they, over mm. the years? But if he takes to it, he could end up being very good indeed. But we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, in that, um, what do they call it? The jumps kickoff or something? Or the jump off? Whatever. The Racing Post thing. Uh, where we get the power rankings that weren't at all controversial. Because, you know, anybody has a different, different opinion to you, you just explode. Uh, although some of that stuff from Graham Rodway, with all due respect, was just like, what? But there is a brilliant article from James Willoughby in that piece about that exact subject, about high-class flat horses transitioning to jumps and how it's not always... It doesn't always work out so well. Uh, two of the best hurdlers that we've seen are obviously Isterbrack and Hurricane Fly. They were good flat horses. Hurricane Fly was a much better flat horse than than Isterbrack. But we've also seen other group class flat horses go jumping, and it's been a disaster. Uh, to quote Craig Revel Hallwood on Strictly Come Dancing. In fact, maybe we should get Craig on the show to review High Definition's hurdling debut. Darling, you were all at sea. You didn't know what you were doing. It was a disaster. Uh, but the logic would dictate that this the sheer flat speed that he will have between the obstacles should, in theory, be superior to anything that he's going to be facing. It doesn't always pan out that way. But if Joseph can get him jumping right um, and, and get his mind really focused, then a horse who was competing against Bayid this year, who was narrowly beaten by a neck in a group one and showed that explosive turn of foot to win the Beresford stakes, 
If you can get his mind right and get his hurdling technique going, he could be really exciting. Percent. That's where they stand or fall, basically. Because if you've got a horse that's got the class and the speed from the flat and you get them hurdling fluently, then the majority of jump spread hurdlers that they come up against will not be able to live with them. The problem is with a lot of them, it's just it's just not bred into them, isn't it? And it just becomes a little bit alien to them. And no matter how much speed they've got between the obstacles, if they're consistently losing two or three lengths at each hurdle, that then becomes a really, really difficult game to play. And the other thing, I, I tell you what I thought of in the immediate aftermath of high definition being sold to go hurdling. Do you remember a few years ago when um, John Ferguson set himself up as a jumps trainer and got a lot of really classy ex-Godolphin horses. Oh, yeah, he had that partnership with Aidan Coleman's. Yeah, and they did really well in sort of the, the autumn and the spring when the ground was decent, almost like flat racing ground, but they tended to flounder in the middle of winter mm. when when the ground got deep and the, the jump spread horses came into their own there. So that that's just a, another thing that I thought about with high definition going over hurdles. Yeah, that's a good point to make, actually. I hadn't thought of that at all. Um, th- there's another point I'd like to add, which is one of the criticisms that I've had of the prize money situation is that we're, we're seeing fewer and fewer of the high-class flat horses go jumping. And yet here we have a Group 2 winner, albeit he hasn't won since the Beresford Stakes as a two-year-old, uh, but a Group 2 winner, a horse who was placed in a derby trial and was beaten a neck in a Group 1, as a four-year-old, going jumping. So that's that's great. Uh, Coolmore have got 350 grand for him, so which is more than he ever earned on the track, so they're happy. Uh, the Connections have got an exciting prospect. They're happy. Joseph O'Brien is transitioning to focusing on the flat, and yet here's a, he can definitely be a dual-purpose horse, but here is a horse bought specifically for jumping, and he's like, yeah, I'll take that. Thanks very much. So everybody wins uh, in the end, and... Um, I would rather have high definition for all that the horse I'm about to mention went for a very different sum of money. But the idea of a no-nay-never, King of Bavaria going jumping, I don't know about that. I need to be convinced on that one. It could turn out to be an absolutely genius move and maybe he goes and wins the Triumph Hurdle, but a no-nay-never going jumping? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, right, let's, let's look ahead to the weekend, shall we? Um, we do have more flat talk coming with the Breeders' Cup, but this is all about the jumps. The real racing is back! Uh, and we're looking at Ascot. The underwriting Ascot Novices Limited Handicap Chase sees Goshen, strap yourself in, Jimmy Moore, making his chasing debut. We had him on Racing Live on TalkSport today. Uh, Lee asked him some great questions. We had a lot of fun with them. And it's going to be an interesting one. 11 to 8 is the price that Kaluki go about Goshen for his chasing debut as we record on Thursday. Uh, Samarov for Paul Nichols and Lorcan Williams is a 5 to 2 shot. Cobbler's Dream, 7 to 2. Jack Quinlan on board. And Goal! Goal Road, uh, 9 to 2 for the Tristan Davis team. Rounds off a disappointingly small field. But that is made up for by the fact that we've got the prospect of Goshen going chasing. How do you see this panning out? Yeah, my default position when I started looking at this race was that I wanted to take on Goshen. And the the more I sort of delved into it, the more I thought, well, actually, he's probably, even though he's giving weight away, he's probably just a little bit too classy for these three rivals. And if he can jump adequately, I, I don't see that he'll have too much of a problem giving £11 away. I thought it was interesting... But Samariv was going over fences. I watched his win last time at, I think it was Sandown, wasn't it? And it, it didn't strike me as an out-and-out chasing type, to be honest. Um, and his hurdling technique wasn't that great, but he got the job done when we saw him last. But Goshen's got, he's got a lot of class here, and we can see the, the class that he's got by, he's keeping his three rivals out of the handicap, isn't he, by between three and six pounds. So he's essentially between three and six pounds well in going over fences for the first time. Like you say, it's a bit of a strapping job and see what you get. And I wouldn't necessarily be desperate to back him at a short price, but 
I, I didn't really want to take him on in the end either. This is it's such a cop-out thing to say, but it's definitely a race to just sit back, watch and enjoy. Um, or at least that was my thought process, first of all. The more I think about it, the more I think he's going to be really hard to beat here. Like, Goshen is a, is a cork bag of the highest order. But not in this context. He should be able to take to, to fences. Um, we know his issues going left-handed. We know how tricky he can be, but we also know how good he is. I mean, that performance in, I will say it, I've said it before and I will say it again, that stupid race, the contender's hurdle, which has no business being on the card. That performance that day was absolutely extraordinary. Uh, he he was awkward at Wing Canton when, when fluent against the ill-fated Adagio, but he needed to be good to win that day. I know he was the odds-on favourite. I, I remember being very bullish about Adagio there. Uh, and he got a right fright, and he showed a lot of quality and a lot of determination to battle back to get up and win, despite not being fluent, uh, and throwing in the odd quirky tendency here and there. I think if he jumps well, he wins. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I think that that's pretty much the position I was at, just maybe not quite as confidently as you. As I say, I, I kind of went into the race thinking I'd want to take him on and then came out of it thinking actually, it's a bit pointless trying to take him on here because if he if he jumps fluently enough, he's just got too much class for them, hasn't he? Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, Eleven to eight. I wonder what price he'll be in the morning. But in a four runner race, I can't see the more team going chasing with him unless they really are confident that he's going to be able to do it. And famous last words, we've seen that before. But I I think he's going to outclass this lot. Uh, Eleven to eight is the current price with Kaluki. We'll switch to Weatherby. Brace yourselves. There's a big bet coming up in this race uh, from Mr. Mark Milligan. This is the Bet365 Novices Hurdle. Uh, the prices on offer, I don't have prices from Kaluki, but the prices that are on offer elsewhere are Prairie Wolf, Shawnee Quinlan on Shawnee Boy, uh, 9 to 4, Learn Talat, 7 to 2, Autumn Return, 5s, uh, Joe Dancer, 8s, McCavity, 11s, uh, Tommy Cullen, 14s, insert the rest. Now, I already know where you're going. Tee this one up. The big bet from Mark Milligan in our coming in our second race is. I'm very keen on Autumn Wolf. Let's go here. Uh, Autumn Return. Sorry, I just I like the way you just like well. mashed up the favorite <laughs> and and your selection. Listeners are like, Autumn, yeah. Autumn, wait, did he mean Prairie Wolf or did he mean Autumn Return? Is there another horse that we're not seeing? Autumn Return, talk to me. When when I'm looking at races from a form perspective, I try to look at them without recourse to any prices initially and essentially price them up in my own mind. And I had Autumn Return as clear favourite in here. She's a former point winner she's won a, a bumper at air i thought she was quite impressive at market raisin last time in a, a bit of an odd race to be honest the the fourth horse he's a, a little bit of a a tear away and he did his usual thing of going quite a few lengths clear but they they ran him down but the good thing about that is that that particular horse kingston sunflower um, sorry, she, um, Kingston Sunflower. She's subsequently come out and won twice since then. So the form has a really rock-solid look to it. And I thought she achieved more in that performance at Market Raisin than either Prairie Wolf and Learnt a Lot, who are both ahead of her in the market. Prairie Wolf was third at Utoxeter last time, thought that was a, a touch disappointing. The favourite won that race, but they were split by one that was a bigger price. 
I felt he'd need to improve markedly off that effort to get close to what autumn return achieved at market raising last time and learnt a lot was beaten at Weatherby last time by a horse of Dan Skelton's called Riley who who hasn't run since but again I didn't think the form of that was anything special um, I just of, of the three I just thought autumn return should be clear favourite in here and she's been put in as the outsider of three so for me she'd be verging on one of my, my best bets of the weekend I think Music to my ears whenever you hear or ever you see a race with a favourite that you deem to be wrong or a false favourite and then you see a horse that you think should be favourite but isn't and that is just that's music to everybody's ears essentially and um, I am not taking you on I am following you in blind abandoning my work and just going let's go because you have sold me completely so Autumn return to get us off to a winning start at Weatherby. And that is our second race. Uh, five to one. Will we be getting fives? I don't think so. We can try. And it's available now with some firms. So take it. Get the gravy train flowing. But by the time the others are pricing this up, I suspect we won't be getting fives. Uh, such is the strength of the Final Four Podcast Army. Um, we got Constitution Hill form. On offer then at the 205 at Ascot. It's the Betu London mm. handicap hurdle. For albeit that this is from their point to point days. But any harm in asking. John John Neal, John John Neal Jr., three to one with Kaluki. Uh, the first of two JP horses. This one for Alan King, Call of the Wild, a nine to two shot. Broomfield Bog for JP and Nikki with James Bone in the saddle is a sixes shot. Highway 102, 8 to 1 for Chris Gordon. Paul Nichols, Hackard the Place is sixes. And Washington for Ollie Murphy and Fergus Gregory is an 8 to 1 shot. Talk to me about the 205. Where are you looking? Yeah, you, you kind of stole my thunder with the Constitution Hill thing there. I, I, had a big, I had a big spiel lined up about how we can back a horse who's beaten Constitution Hill off a mark of 137. And when are you going to get to do that again? And now I start. The, the wind's been taken right oh, Go for it. Go stuff. for it. <laughs> I've just talked up one big bet. I've just talked about one, but if you think that's good, we get to back the champ, a horse who's got form with the champion hurdle favourite, and we get to back him for a mark of 137 and 3 to 1. Something like that? Yeah, that'll, that'll do. <laughs> yeah, any harm in asking, we haven't seen him for 272 days. I'm just wondering if he's maybe had a setback or potentially is it to protect this handicap mark? of 137 now he beat constitution hill in the point to point field now obviously we'd be silly to try and equate that to anything constitution hill has done since he went under rules and any i mean asking himself was a little bit of a slow burner over hurdles it took him four starts to get off the mark but when he went handicapping oh wow did he really start to put it all together he went at Catrick and Sedgefield look they're small northern tracks the opposition weren't up to a great deal but he could not have won those two races any easier absolutely with his head in his chest I have a feeling a mark of 137 probably still underestimates him to a considerable degree. Yes, he will be favourite in here, but I think he's got limitless potential. It, it wouldn't I I might be getting carried away here, but it wouldn't surprise me if he went on to be a little bit better than a, a handicap hurdler in time. Such is the esteem that I hold him in now that he's finally putting it all together. And so I think I think a, a mark of 137 is still workable and it's interesting that he holds uh, just over a fortnight's time holds uh, an entry in the Greatwood as well yeah the thing that was on my mind for um, for any harm in asking was the Betfair hurdle but you've stolen my thunder because um, he has the entry in the Greatwood and that has to be significant and he's he's a relatively short price for that race as well he's 12 to 1 with Kaluki right now um, 
the favourite, uh, intriguingly enough, is the is the horse who's going to be laid out for the Grand Annual, who we put up last week, Dad's Lad. Don't think he comes over. Um, and, and Paul Nichols has, has a horse that's been fairly well punted as well, but and obviously West Cork. Uh, but any Harman Askin is very prominent in that market. And I was trying to find a John Joe Neal stable tour. Are we doing the John Joe Neal stable tour, by the way? I think we are, you know. Um, there's a number of stable tours to come. But I had read somewhere something about Any Harman Askin, and I, I think they had just earmarked him to come back early enough um, and then hopefully go for valuable handicap hurdles as well. So if they are going to be taking in the Great Wood, then this would be a, a nice tee-up race. And I suspect uh, three to one off that mark, you know, he is second in the weights, 11 stone 13, but it's he's a he's a carrot that's dangling dangling just a little bit too attractively for for my mind. Yeah, he's he, he's a horse who's just got tons and tons of potential. Quite why he didn't put it together in his first few starts of hurls, I'm not sure. He he turdling technique wasn't that fluent, to be honest, and mm. he's definitely been a lot better on those last two starts, but there was such a marked change in how he went through the races at Catrick and Sedgefield to what he'd done previously that he just looked a completely different horse there and I say he won with his head in his chest in both of those races and I suspect he's been a very hard horse for the handicapper to sort of get a handle on after that Sedgefield run. He's up to £10 and I suspect that's probably on the lenient side. Yeah, I would think so. The The performance at Catterick and then the performance at Sedgefield, like, there's something that they both have in common, how Im- bloody impressive he was. Like His hurdling was vastly improved. He's travelled powerfully through both of those races, cruised through and won really easily. Whereas prior to that, he'd just been awkward. He'd been, he'd been very, very awkward. Um, particularly on, on his race at Utoxeter. So... I think this is a great opportunity for him, and um, I would look no further than any Harman Askin. And uh, good to hear that you're bullish about the horse as well. Right, the 225, as we return to Weatherby, is the Bet365 Mare's listed race. Uh, good to soft is the forecast going. We have five runners. Molly Ollie's wish is... Try that again, shall we? Molly Ollie's wishes for the skeleton team is 11-8 to eight with Kaluki, who go 15-8 to eight about Martella Sky, Lucy Wadham and Bryony Frost, Alan King's Nina the Terrier, with Tom Bellamy in the saddle, is a four-to-one shot with Kaluki. See the sea for Donald McCain, nines, and Island Mahi, 25s for Stuart Crawford. Okay. Um, Molly Ollis wishes tends to struggle when she goes up against the boys, but she yeah. tends to crush it against her own sex, and that's how I see her running here as well. What about you? Yeah, that's absolutely spot on. I couldn't have put it any better myself, to be honest. I thought Molly Ollie's wishes and Martello Sky had this between them. Martello Sky, she was progressive, wasn't she, last season? But when she ran in the, the mayor's hurdle there at Cheltenham, that was probably just a bridge too far for her, and she was beaten nine and a quarter lengths behind Marie's Rock. Molly Ollie's wishes, she won this last season. I don't think the depth to this particular renewal is, is much different, to be honest. And like you say, she's really, really good in mares only races. It's only when she comes up against the Geldings that, that she's tended to struggle. I thought it was interesting that the, the handicapper only had, the official handicapper only has a pound between them. He's got Molly Ollie's wishes on 143 and Martello Sky 142. I had them a little bit further apart than that. To, to be perfectly honest, and it, it is boring and was siding with another favourite, but I thought Molly Ollie's wishes was, was going to take all the beating in here. She was a damn good winner of the race last year, and it's a good point to make about the mare's hurdle from Martella Sky. That was just maybe it was the back of a. She'd been busy. You know, she'd been on the go from October right through to March. Maybe that caught up with her. Uh, maybe it was the fact that it was just a deeper race and she wasn't good enough on the day back down in class, gives her a huge opportunity, but she has a big, big task on her hands with Molly Ollie's Wishes, who was a hugely impressive winner of this race last year. So I'd be pretty, I'd be reasonably bullish 
about it, uh, Molly Ollie's wishes, and she will be going in the lucky 31 Fashawa. Uh, right, the 240 at Ascot is the Burn Group Handicap Chase. 42 grand in prize money to the winner before midnight is your 4 to 1 favourite for Sam Thomas and Sam Tristan Davis. Amula Gold, Skelton and Bridget Andrews is a 5 to 1 shot. Naslam for the Moors, a 5 to 1 shot. Fredo Bambo, Venetia Williams and Charlie Deutsch, 11 to 2. And Diego de Chamel is sevens. They are the current prices with Kaluki. Talk to me about our next race at Ascot 240 live on ITV and Sky. Yeah, this was one of the races that I didn't have quite as strong opinion on, to Moving be honest. On. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a look at, at Before Midnight and, and even Frero Bamboo, to be honest. Frero Bamboo intrigued me a little bit, but I thought that was, was a kind of lazy, nondescript performance that he put in at Aintree on his final start last season. And it could be just gone over the top, perhaps, by then. But I wasn't, I just wasn't impressed with the way he went through that race. And I kind of wanted to side with something a bit more unexposed in here. I had a look at Nassalam. But I thought Time White was intriguing because... He's still only a six-year-old. Now, if we go back to that race I just talked about at Aintree, um, it was the Close Brothers Red Rum at Aintree. Ferro Bamboo finished ninth in that. Now, Time White, he fell in that. But to be fair, he was he was beaten at the time he fell. But he kind of been really positive going into that race, um, winning a couple of novice handicaps, Doncaster and Ascot. And he jumped adequately on those two starts. Now, he didn't see his rider the time before, and he fell at Aintree, but he's still only a six-year-old. And, you know, if we know anything about Paul Nichols, it's that Time White will have been really well-schooled over the summer. And I don't, despite him unseating and falling, I don't have that much of a worry over his jumping, to be honest. And I just thought, as a six-year-old, in a race where plenty of these have got few secrets from the handicapper, he's got the scope to potentially improve past his mark of one four two. I was very interested in Paul Nichols as well. Um, do you remember this race three years ago? I barely remember what I had for my lunch. <laughs> <laughs> three years ago, Diego de Chamel pushed his stable companion through the wings. And went on to he win. Did. I'm this just race. looking at. I'm just looking at the race now while while he's speaking. That was also the last time Diego de Charmel won a race. And yet, I'm very intrigued by him because he goes very well at Ascot. Uh, Paul Nichols has won this twice in the last ten years. Obviously, Diego de Charmel was one of those horses. But the thing that I find very interesting is on both times he's won this race, he used claiming jockeys. So it was Lorcan Williams. You go yeah, it was Lorcan Williams uh, three years ago on Diego de Charmel. Sean Bowen on Ulick Dulin uh, a few years ago as well. And we've got Freddie Gingell taking 10 off Diego de Charmel. I'll take him, please. Thanks very much. Um, look, it is three years since he won, but that win did come in this race. He goes very well at Ascot. Um, and that's a massive concession to be getting the 10 pounds that Freddie's taken off. So. I'll side with Diego de Charmel. Sevens currently with Kaluki. We'll move back to Weatherby for the Bet365 hurdle, grade two. Just the six runners. Again, small fields for the weekend. We got Sporting John. Oh, the high hopes we had for Sporting John at one time. He was going to crush everything. It didn't quite happen, but he might win this. Uh, he was 11 to 10 yesterday with final declarations. He's on the drift. Kaluki have pushed him out to 15 to 8. Indefatigable is a 3 to 1 shot, cut in from 4s. Uh, Pushkarima, let's just say that quickly and move on, shall we? 5s uh, into 7 to 2 for the skeleton team. 3 under through 5 is back. He's entered in the Hennessy, apologies, the Coral Trophy, the Hennessy Trophy. Uh, and I thought he's a very interesting en entry in that race for the McNeil family. Um, we last saw him at Cheltenham. He could have gone. Could have gone for the four-miler, but you decided to aim for the big leagues and it didn't quite pan out. Um, he's a very good horse in his day. Adrian Heskin, of course, on board. A six-to-one shot. Thomas Darby, Ollie Murphy, 
uh, and Aidan Coleman, 8-1, to one, and Oscar Elite, old friend of the show, Joe Tizard, first time he gets to train him in his own name, uh, Brendan Powell, a 20-1 to one shot. All right, Bet365, Hurdle, grade two, where are you looking? Yeah, I think the first thing to say about this for, for a grade two, I don't think it's up to its usual standard, no. to be honest. Um, and for that reason, I... I'm starting to become interested in sporting John, particularly now he's drifting to around 15 to 8. Because I think he... Look, it didn't really work out for him over fences, did it? No. Let's be perfectly honest about that. And he had a breathing operation before he went at at Cheltenham in November. He then ran okay when he was fourth back at Cheltenham on his next start. And he was... uh, a smooth, I think is the best way to describe it, winner at Warwick when we last saw him in January. I think he's got a little bit of an air of unfinished business about him now that they've decided to put him back over hurdles. And as I said, the the point I made at the start is I just don't think this is a particularly deep race. Um, Proschema, was he second in this last year? I think he was. I think you're right, yeah. Um, uh, behind the indefatigable, yep. which is easy for me to see, <laughs> and Thomas Darby was fourth. That was the race that Paisley Park disappointed in, wasn't it? Yeah, we had such um, high hopes and it didn't quite pan out, but hey, we're going to see him this year. So, so those three, essentially those three all bring interlocking form lines to the race. Three under through five, I don't know about you, I kind of got the feeling that this was potentially a prep for the Hennessy, oh, 100%. Like, no, 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 no. It's almost a Final Forum podcast rule. Unless Carl become a sponsor, in which case, hey, Simon. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the Carl. Because, uh, you know, we just, we shill, basically. I mean, that's what this game is all about, isn't it? It's just shilling for the right amount. Um, but it's always going to be the Hennessy until they pay us a lot of money to do that. Um, you know, I got the impression that this was just a, a case of get him out. Um, Get him a nice little end, prep. Yeah, get him a nice little prep run. It's not going to affect his mark for the race. Um, and a nice comeback. Doesn't mean he can't win, but I wouldn't exactly be falling over myself to back him in, in a race of these conditions. Yeah, spot on. So in, in a race that, that's not that deep, and I didn't want to go really with any of the three that ran in this race last season, Sporting John was the selection for me. The thing that intrigued me with Sporting John is chasing didn't work out for him. And yes... Philip Hobbs had him entered for the big handicap chase at Ascot on Saturday. So he was clearly toying with which one do I go for? And on the basis of that performance at Warwick last year, it would be hurdling. Um, he was very good at, at Cheltenham. He was terrific there. And I, I did find it interesting that he had him in, engaged in both. And I was hoping this would be the race he'd go for, and it is. And I'm very intrigued that he's just on the drift, that apparently they can't give him away. And that suits me. That suits me down to the ground. Uh, if we're getting 15 to 8 about a horse of this calibre, who on his day is is very, very good, then that's more than fair. Um, he's got a mark of 154. Indefatigable, who is undoubtedly a very good horse, winner of this race last year, his mark is 145. So there is a, a weight concession there, 11.6 to 11.1, but I would... I would happily enough go with Sporting John, and the bigger the drift, the more confident I would be, quite frankly. Bigger the drift, the bigger the price. The bigger the bet, and that's the, that the way they go for it. Tends to be a bigger price when they drift, you clown, Kennedy. Uh, 3.15, ask it. The Betu London Gold Cup. Andy kept Chase. I think you're supposed to pronounce it that way. I, I don't know for sure, but I think you are. Um, right, we got 13 runners. Major Dundee heads the betting at 4-1 to one with Kaluki for Alan King and Tom Cannon. Then Our Power for Sam Thomas. And Charlie Deutsch, 11-2. T-Clipper is a 6-1 to one shot. Ansem, 15-2. Fullback for the Moors, 8s. Danny Carwin. I kind of hoped that uh, the Hay team were going to send Danny Carwin to our good friend Harry Durham as a gift. Here, you take over the training of the legend, the hero that is, Danny Kerwin, because I don't know if you're aware of this, Mark. You weren't part of the Final Forum Podcast family at the time. But Harry was on the show with me at Aintree 2018. And I said, anything we should be looking forward to? And the man had put up a 33-1 to winner at Cheltenham. 
And he comes along and says, Danny Kerwin, any price you can get. Up and down the lines, absolute stone cold solid moral. I've never heard him as bullish in my life. Aintree comes along. People are coming up to him left, right, and center. People are coming up to me saying, Danny Kerwin in the last, Danny Kerwin in the last. We're all, we've got the fancy prices. He gets punted into 11 to 4. And he fell out the back of the telly. And he's never lived it down. So (laughs) this is the opportunity. uh, And I would have loved it. I would have loved it if Danny had gone with Harry for his new training regime. And maybe he will. Like Harry's not going to have runners until Boxing Day or St. Stephen's Day for Ireland. Um, And I'm very excited for his career. We did a stable tour with him not long ago as well, which you can listen back to. Just scroll down the feed. You'll find it there on the podcast app. Uh, Harry's a great guy. And we're looking forward to having him back on the show soon. Maybe it's going to be sweet, sweet justice with Danny Kerwin on Saturday. But who do you like? Yeah, I like our power in here. I think he's still got plenty more to offer as a chaser. He's only a seven-year-old. It was his first season over fences last season and his first season for Sam Thomas, having joined the stable from Nigel Twiston Davis. He won a couple of small races, one at Wincanton, one at Huntingdon. He ran a really good race in the, uh, I was going to call it the racing post trophy. It's the Coral Trophy, isn't it? At Kempton in February. Oh, yeah, the old racing off. post chase. Yeah. Um, he ran a really good race there off the mark that he runs off this weekend, 136. And his run in the Ultima, when he was beaten 11 and a half lengths by Corrick Rambler into fifth there, you can upgrade that run because he was trapped wide throughout there. He had a nightmare trip there. And I think he's done well to finish as close as he did in the end. And the handicapper has seen fit to drop him two pounds back to his mark of 136, the mark that he ran really well off at Kempton. This will only be his seventh start over fences. He's only a seven-year-old. I think he's got plenty more to offer from this mark of 136. I completely see that. I completely see that. Uh, however, I like a horse off mark of 132 by the super stallion who always produces game, tough, battling horses who never fold like cheap deck chairs up the hill. Oh, wait, no, they do. Uh, Scorpion. Send your mare now to Scorpion. Is Scorpion still going as a stallion, actually? He is. Um, is he? He's still going. All right. All right. I mean, listen. Invest- he produces, produces some interesting characters. He certainly does. He certainly, that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, look, he's had some good horses, but we've had plenty of jockeys on the show who've just talked about what a nightmare Scorpion's progeny can be. Uh, the old Manju bloodline continuing. But Major Dundee, I think, is very interesting. A form figure's first time out of first. Dog egg, but we have to mention it. Uh, Runner-up and first. So he goes very well fresh. I believe... He's being aimed at a national this year, whether that's the Welsh national or the Scottish national. I'm not entirely certain. I know that he finished third in the Scottish national last year uh, behind Win My Wings. And um, I think the mark of 132 is is more than fair. Uh, bookmakers, like Kaluki had gone fives. It's now fours. And I don't disagree with that. And I, I think that four to one is is reasonable. And I would imagine that's in and around the price we'll be getting on Saturday morning as well. I don't see him taking a, a wild drift in the market. Alan King's horses are, are running very well. Um, and there's an awful lot to like about him. So I, I think he'll go off a lot shorter. I think he'll be sub three to one. And given his first time at record, given his his stamina, given his class, off a mark of one, three, two, Major Dundee. I'll, I'll, I'll go there. What do you think of that? Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Disagree with you. Uh, I think he's got plenty, plenty still to offer. That was a, a decent run. It was a really good run, in fact, wasn't it? In the in the Scottish National. I, I suppose part part of me was like, oh, I don't want to tip another favourite. <laughs> <laughs> looking at this race, um, uh, for me, the the two that are ahead at the head of the market, Major Dundee and Our Power, they're the correct two horses 
to be at the head of the market. And for me, they're the two who could still have more to offer from their respective marks. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And with the greatest respect to you, my friend, I hope Major Dundee does you and does you well. Now, hopefully not like do you in a driving finish to the line because that's probably not going to happen to me. And our power wins. I'm like, oh, I don't know, just listen to Mark. But um, no, I, I really fancy Major Dundee for Saturday. Uh, let's see how it goes. Right, our last race is the Bet365 Charlie Hall Chase. Uh, seven runners, seven on the field, but boy, have we got quality here. Six to four is the current price on offer about Brave Man's Game, who has had a wind operation for Paul Nichols and Harry Cobden. Six to four, the current price with Kaluki. It is two to one about his conqueror, twice at entry, Ahoy Senor, for Lucinda Russell and Derek Fox. Do we have the we don't, oh, for goodness sakes, after the epic Game of Thrones intro, intro that we did for Mark during the week, we don't have the, the King of the North. Uh, but a hoist in your Eldorado Allen for Joe Tizzard, Brendan Powell is 9-2. Secret Investor for Paul Nichols and Bronnie Frost is 12s. Sam Brown, a 16-shot Win My Wings. We just spoke about 16s for Christian Williams and Jack Tudor and Paint the Dream for Fergal O'Brien, who's on the show soon, 33-1. to Connor Brace in the plate. What do you think of an epic renewal of the Charlie Hall chase. Is it between Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senor? And if so, which of those two do you favor? Oh, can you hear this? Oh, rubbing his <laughs> hands with glee. That, that's, that's, the, that's the sound of me rubbing my hands in excitement at this Charlie Hall chase because it's going to be an absolute cracker, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, Brave, Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senor, they've, they've traded punches, haven't they, over the last season or two? And which side of the fence do you come down on? For me, around Weatherby, on ground that I think, if to be honest, I'm, I live well about an hour and a qu- an hour and a quarter, hour and a twenty minutes from Weatherby. It's absolutely bucketed down all day here today. Oh. And if Weatherby's had the same sort of rain, I think the the ground will be on the testing side there. Look, I think we had this discussion in midweek, didn't we, about whether we'd favour Brave Man's game at Kempton over Ahoy Senor. Would you then favour Ahoy Senor at Cheltenham over Brave Man's game? For me, I think Weatherby plays very much to the strengths of Ahoy Senor. A left-handed, galloping track, nice long straight. He'll get into a rhythm. Uh, not dissimilar, is it, Weatherby in configuration to Aintree, to be perfectly honest. Although you do tend to Aintree in spring, you tend to get the ground a little bit more lively. But look, I, I'd be surprised if there was a lot between them. Brave Man's game was clearly, clearly not right, was it, at Aintree in April when he finished 30 lengths behind the Hoy Senor. He'd beaten him at Kempton over Christmas. And one of the hallmarks of, of Brave Man's Games um, novice chasing was, was the way he jumped. He's su- such a fluent jumper. Yeah. And Ahoy Senor, I think it's fair to say his jumping was more... Oh, I don't, I'm not sure what, what the, the word is I'm looking for. He was more of a slow burner, wasn't he, when it came to jumping and but he was gradually getting his act together I thought he was tremendous at Aintree in April I we spoke about this in midweek he reminds me he's a proper old-fashioned slab of a staying chaser isn't he in the the mold of the likes of Jadami and forgive and forget and wayward lad some of the great horses we've seen from the north over the years and at the current prices, I'd be inclined to favour him over Brave Man's Game. But I think it would be remiss of us to call this just a two-horse race because, you know, I think if Eldorado Allen bounces back to his best, he'll likely have a say as well, won't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if he can get back there. I mean, look, the official ratings, he's top. Eldorado Allen has got a, a mark of one six two. Hoist in your Brave Man's Game 161. So we're talking about the best horse in the race is Eldorado Allen. I think by the time the race is run, that will have a very different spin on it. There'll be a different look to it. But yeah. he was a 14-to-1 shot for the Gold Cup. Um, 
he was pretty short when he took on Clan de Sobo in Grade One Company Entry. I, I wouldn't be dismissive of him at all. For me, and look, I'm not trying to do Eldorado Allen down here, but it'd be a disappointing result, wouldn't it? Yeah, if he wins it, yeah, it over would. a high senior or Brave Man's game. It's interesting that they've they've tinkered with Brave Man's game wind again I think if I'm not mistaken I'll double check this I think it's his second wind up I think you're right yeah I think they um, did they do a wind up on him before his novice chasing a novice hurdling campaign they did so he was first operated on in 2020 and just to break that down a little bit that's look, this can Paul Nichols has been a genius when it comes to wind operations and it has been a, a huge, hugely successful method for him in the past. But it's a concern. And maybe that's what went wrong with him at Aintree. Maybe not having the run at Cheltenham when he was primed for it, which can definitely harm a horse in terms of their prospects going forward. If you're then off the track for a month and you come back and you're expected to be back in peak form again without having had the full physical exertions of what you were peaked to do, we've seen that affect horses in the past. Well, maybe the wind caught up with them again too. And the problem with that is if you're having a wind problem, if you can't breathe, look, I'm asthmatic, right? I used to run the marathons. Don't do that anymore because my back is also screwed. But I remember uh, running in the Cork Marathon and my friend Kieran Kenefick was running it with me. And about five miles in, I turned to him and went, I'm not going to make this. Because my my breathing literally started to go, <gasps> and he just gave me a bit of confidence, said some, you know, feel good stuff, and kept me going, and we both managed to complete it. Um, but if your breathing's not working, you're not going to be able to win. It's as simple as that. Um, and it, it may very well be this is going to sort the problem out, but it does tend to be even with high class horses that a breathing issue can develop into more complex issues and start to harm a horse's prospects going forward. It's something you have to take in, into account when looking at him on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you quite rightly make the point that Paul Nichols has had a lot of success when tinkering with the wind of his runners. But I don't think you can view it as a positive here, the fact that he's had to have his wind tinkered with a second time. And that would make me tread warily if I was thinking of going in on Brave Man's game at a short price. Well, this is quite simple for me. These are two exceptionally exciting horses. I'm very excited to see what they both do this season. Um, we know that the King George is basically the gold cup for Brave Man's game. That's the, the big target. I still maintain if he wins that, how do you skip Cheltenham? And remember, he's 33-1 to 1 for that race. But a hoist is a bloody good horse as well. And it's currently 2-1 in favour of a hoist senor. I would argue Brave Man's game didn't turn up on either of those occasions. But I would also argue that a hoist senor didn't really turn up at Kempton when Brave Man's yeah. game uh, scooted to success in the Cotto Star. Uh, and that is a slight concern for me about a hoist senor. There's a concern for me with Brave Man's game. Maybe I'm going to talk myself into backing Eldorado Allen here. Uh, there's a concern <laughs> for me with Brave Man's game's wind. Um, but there's also concern for me with Hoysenor and his jumping because when he's good, a la Newbury, he's exceptionally good. He slammed the subsequent Grand National winner at this track by five and a half lengths last year. But even then, he was jumping out to the right. He nudged yeah. on landing. Um, he's pecked on landing a few times. He's basically every start, he's not fluent. He makes a mistake here and there. But then there's some fences he just, he wings them and gains ground. So he's tricky, but he's very talented. And the reason it's easy for me is Ahoy Senor is 2-1 to one and Brave Man's game is 6-4. to four. Just back the bigger price. So, I think you're, uh, I think you're absolutely spot on. Yeah, Ahoy Senor. Uh, and that would make it 3-1 or 2-all. But I think that there's mitigating circumstances for both horses. Aintree over hurdles, Brave Man's game, probably had an excuse that day. He definitely had an excuse last year. Yeah. And I don't believe for a second that that was the real Ahoy Senor 
at Kempton. Um, just bad no, mistakes. Think, he made several I, bad mistakes. Yeah. Actually, didn't, didn't Derek Fox nearly come off him in that race? Yeah. I, for me, he, he didn't jump as well as he can do in the Corso Star at Kempton. And I think it was a similar story at Cheltenham as well. And I don't think he, he jumped quite as well as he can do. In between, at Weatherby, in the Towton, he was sensational. Yeah. His jumping was fantastic. And his jumping was really good at Aintree as well. So he does need to iron out those little mistakes. And I think that's the only thing that could stop him beating Brave Man's game here, to be perfect. I think if he jumps fluently, if he jumps as well as he did when he won here last season and at Aintree, I think he takes a heck of a lot of beating. I completely agree with you. Let's get Thank you. the best bet for the weekend's action. What's going to pay for the Breeders' Cup? Because you're in the middle of packing for your trip to New York. Not going to the Breeders' <laughs> yes. Cup. You just are going to America. So <laughs> yes. who is sending you upgraded to first class on the flight? She, she may not upgrade me to first class, but hopefully she'll allow me to buy a nice breakfast, an overpriced breakfast at Heathrow beforehand. <laughs> Autumn return in the first race at Weatherby. Let's go! Let's go! Um, I'm going to turn this into a patent and add in two. Major Dundee in the 315 at Ascot. And I think everyone knows at this point, Any Harm and Ascot in the 205 at Ascot. So I'll, I'll make it a patent. And in fact, let's make it a lucky 31. Let's add in two more. Goshen wins. He might be a head case, but he's going to win that race. Um, and we're siding with Hoysenor 2's the Charlie Hall. Yeah. Sorry, John Dance. Sorry. Nothing personal. It's not friend business. It's show business, baby. And we want the payment. So two to one, Hoysenor. Uh, let's go for the lucky 31. Right. Mark Milligan, pleasure as always, my friend. Looking forward to chatting to you again very, very soon on the final Furlong Podcast. Safe flight to the States. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Uh, a five-star rating on whichever podcast app it is that you're listening to us on would be much appreciated. Hit them with the RT on Twitter. Like and share on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever it is that you are on the wonderful world of social media. Uh, from Mark and myself, we will chat to you again. Packed week of recording next week. A Bloodstock special, Breeders' Cup special, Jumps specials. All to come next week in the Final Furlong Podcast. Be safe, be well, have a great weekend. Look after yourself. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced trainers, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pictures at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk.